make sure you celebrate when even just the little things along the way go right. And when they don't go as planned, I mean, as I say, you get to practice that pretty often. So suck it up. It's part of the sport. They're a living, breathing animal. What they do for us is incredible. So if they have a bad day and they they uh, are tense or they knock down a jump or they're slow or they're too fast, you just have to understand that they're loving creatures and they're trying their best for you and there's always another day. show featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and this week's episode is with elite Canadian eventer Selena O'Hanlon. Selena has been a stalwart for the Canadian eventing team. She competed at the 2008 Olympic Games and three consecutive World Equestrian Games, 2018, 2014, and 2010, during which she earned a team silver medal. She also competed at the 2011 Pan American Games aboard John and Judy Rumble's Canadian sport horse gelding, Foxwood High, or Woody as he's known in the barn. Canada also took home team silver there. In addition, Selena was the top-placed Canadian rider at the Rolex Kentucky three-day event in both 2014 and 2017 aboard Woody. The pair won the 2017 Fairhill International CIC three-star. Selena was the first Canadian to do so. And what he was later named the 2017 U.S. Eventing Association Advanced Horse of the Year. Selena and her mother, Morag, an incredibly accomplished eventer herself, operate O'Hanlon Eventing at Balsam Hall in Kingston, Ontario, where they teach event and dressage riders of all levels, run a boarding program, and produce and sell talented horses. Selena progressed as a youngster under her mom's watchful eye and was immersed in the family business from an early age. Selena continues to have a real passion for learning and for teaching, and she's honed her craft under the tutelage of eventing royalty like Bruce Davidson and Mark Todd. Selena is a true horsewoman who always puts her horse's best interests first, and it's obvious that they try hard for her, and her results also reflect that. Always humble, Selena credits her team and supporters for her motivation and success. Our conversation spans from her early years competing in Western and swimming with her beloved quarter horse, Toby, to how she got over her fear of jumping big jumps, the relationship she's developed with her fellow countrymen while on teams, how she handles losing, and her aspirations for the future. Selena finds respite from the harsh Canadian winters in Ocala for part of the year, which is where I caught up with her in mid-February. Now let's jump right into the episode with Selena explaining how she first got involved with horses and riding. My mom was an eventer at quite a high level, and I introduced to eventing at age of nine, which, as far as I knew at the time, was the earliest you could event. I actually started off Western and loved it, and it did teach me a lot. I didn't do barrel racing and that sort of thing. I did mostly Western pleasure and trail, pole bending, opening gates, walking across bridges, learning how to maneuver the horse underneath you. And it kind of extended later on into dressage, although dressage has forward movement to the lateral movement. You do learn how to move a horse around, and my horse was a very big quarter horse. Um, but yeah, seeing my, my heroes, my idols, um, which happened to be friends of my mother's, I was really lucky that way, inspired me. And also watching, watching them on, on TV and in videos 
We didn't have live stream back then, but that's definitely what inspired me. And so you touched on this a little bit, but your mom is certainly an accomplished rider and coach in her own right. Um, and I, I read that she trained in the UK and in Vienna before coming to Canada. Can you talk to us a little bit about her training philosophy and how that's influenced your riding? And, you know, I guess, did her background have any kind of influence on the career path you took? My mother's CV is extensive. It takes up three or four pages. Um, she worked with John Lasseter and ran the Spanish Riding School. She trained with Jenny Lauriston Clark, and that's um, how we ended up with our stallion Ramiro that we brought to Canada with us and, and started up a breeding program with. She also, as I said before, has incredible friends in um, who are all at the upper levels. I got to meet Bruce Davidson and Stephen Bradley and Mark Todd and some of the world's greatest riders. And not only were they my coaches, but they were friends of the family, so they, you felt like they really wanted it for you. Her um, teaching philosophy definitely um, had a big influence on me because she was my coach for most of the beginning of my career. Also watching her teach, we ran an extensive working student program with about 12 working students at a time on a huge property with multiple disciplines. There were Sue Pritchard there with hunter jumpers and I grew up watching Ainsley Vince and her sisters learn how to ride. So I have to say that the teaching definitely was a big part of it. And then her dedication and her love of the horse. She didn't actually get to start learning to ride herself until she was in her 20s. And she learned out of a book, basically. She told me she had a music stand and she put the book on it and she just learned by chapter by chapter. She was so good and reliable at looking after horses that she got to work in some of the best barns in the world. And then um, they realized that she had some talent as well. Before that, she rode some pretty rogue horses, I think, which she'll tell you didn't teach her a lot, but she did get a chance to show some of these people that she worked for that her riding ability was there, and then they started helping her. And so she was late to learn how to ride, and um, the base program in terms of lectures, every, lecture, every morning at nine, we have lectures with all the working students. So I heard the base program over and over and over again each year because you would take on new working students. We also kept some working students for years and years and years who went all the way up through the Canadian coaching levels. So it really stuck in my mind. And then the imagery that she uses teaching, I teach a lot like her. It's great that I've had the opportunity to train with other top class um, coaches and I try to integrate their their style of coaching and their exercises and their knowledge into my base program, but my base program still um, always starts with my mom's imagery and, and her lessons and her dedication to looking after the horse. Can you describe just a little bit what the base program is and what that entails? Uh, routine. She's really dedicated to routine. She works with a lot of difficult horses. And she made sure I didn't ride difficult horses until I was probably 16 or, or maybe even older. And, you know, starting at 7 or 7.30 in the winter, always um, doing everything in a routine so the horses learn to settle as quickly as possible. We always water and hay before we grain. And, and lots of people do barns different ways and that sort of thing. But this one's really by the book. 
and then you know we have our lessons in the morning um, and then if you are a good enough rider you might get given more horses to ride also kind of her fitness program I've never wavered on that either the interval training I run on a four-day program so the horses um, day four would be a stress day where they galloped or did an event or cross-country training or something like that and then day one uh, every second day one for a horse like Foxwood High they would have off um, and if they were doing a day one where they were being ridden they would probably hack out or do something light and then day two and day three you can interchange a little bit day two would normally be dressage training and day three would be maybe a trot set and a jump training we try not to jump the horses more than twice a week even when they're learning and then you know foxwood high he probably only jumps once a week if that and both you and your mom hold clinics teach train horses what's it like working alongside your mom it's awesome <laughs> i really enjoy it i'm sure it was a little rocky while i was a teenager she gradually gave me more responsibilities i um, finished high school uh, by via correspondence and uh, schooled at home. Luckily, one of her clients who rented a house as well as boarded horses with us was a top professor at a university. So she helped me with any kind of math, mostly, that I had trouble with at home. And uh, so I got to start to run my own barn. First of all, I was kind of a wingman and learned how to look after them and make up their feed list. And I got more and more responsibility as I went on. And I'm sure that as any other teenager is with starting out in life I thought I knew it all and and wanted to prove that I could do it all and she had to squash me every once in a while <laughs> and train me that there's so much to learn and you never stop learning with horses but uh, now I appreciate it more than ever we couldn't afford for both of us to compete at the upper level so she unfortunately had a, a knee replacement early on in her career and that kind of put the kibosh on it. And then I started getting to a higher level and doing young riders and that sort of thing. And so she knew that um, she was going to have to push me to the front of the line when it came to getting the entry fees paid and membership fees paid and that sort of thing. So she's pretty much sacrificed everything for me. And I super duper appreciate it. The only drawback is uh, we lease and run the farm together that we have in Ontario. And we have a handful of boarders, and they're lovely clients and support me endlessly. But they can't all come with me to Florida. So being a prerequisite to stay on the team that you train in, in the south, uh, in Aiken, Florida, doesn't matter. Um, my groom and I and Marie bring the horses down, maybe nine horses, ten horses. My mom stays home and she runs the facility at home and continues on with the lessons through grueling winters and coaching and looks after the horses we have at home. We have about 14 probably at home. When they're all at the barn together in the summertime, we can have anywhere from 28 to 31 horses. So she's got a lot of work. She still mucks stalls. I cannot take the pitchfork out of her hand. She teaches lessons. She rides all my horses that I can't ride while I'm not there. She's a very busy lady and I couldn't do it without her, but I truly wish she could come to Florida because she deserves it more than anybody, but also uh, her friends are here. Bruce Davidson's here and other friends, Stephen Bradley, all sorts of people. And, and that, that way she could come to the events and enjoy watching our young horse, Benny, that we're bringing along and, and cheer for Woody and, and enjoy the 
summer, <laughs> the summer weather, I should say, instead of the winter weather. I hope uh, one day I can convince her to semi-retire and come to Florida with me. That would be really fun. And you started riding with Bruce Davidson as a young, at a young age. What was that like? If it weren't for Bruce Davidson, I don't think I would jump above probably three feet, if I were honest. <laughs> I had a fear of height, jumping height when I was young. I probably started lessons with him. He used to come and do um, clinics maybe every six months. And some of the best riders in Canada came. Alex Reinfeldt, Gary Roke. Oh, Bruce Mandeville, all sorts of Ian Roberts top riders came and had clinics and I was allowed to ride as well and I also ended up in the group I mean Bruce even though the groups are separate in terms of what your ability is and what level you're competing at you all jump basically the same big scary stuff so I got to ride with those guys and they pushed me and I trusted Bruce because I was more afraid of Bruce than the jumps they pushed me so I used to wait in line for my turn to go and my little face would be all scrumpled up and the tears would be rolling down my cheeks because I'd be absolutely deathly afraid of the grid he was setting up. And then he would say, listen to my voice, just kick when I say now. And he would say, now, now, and I would kick. And I've got video of me coming straight on down to the camera. My tiny little legs are flying off the horse's side and I'm kicking him as hard as I can when he tells me to, jumping down at least like a four foot three grid. It's in insane. And so he really got me over it. And because I trust his knowledge and his experience, I know that if I had a problem, he could get on and fix it. And because I was deathly afraid of him <laughs> and inspired by him, I kept going. And, and you need that kind of bond. I'd, I'd been spoiled. I'd always had coaches who really wanted it for me genuinely. It wasn't just their job and something they were paid for. They invested a lot of time and effort and you know, they wanted it as badly as I do. And still, now Bruce comes to the shows. He came to all my four stars at Rolex and gives me a pinch for good luck and walks the course with me and will help me no matter what. Um, and it's definitely I owe everything um, in terms of getting over my fear of jumping height and, and doing the level I'm at. And he instills confidence now too. Sometimes it's just good to hear that you are on the right path. Just keep struggling that there's no quick way there and there's nothing special that you're missing. Just keep working at it. And he's um, very honest that way and has an incredible breeding program. And now I've gotten to ride a lot of his young horses. We have one of them in our barn that belongs to one of our clients and they're really quality animals. So there's that side of it too. The, the breeding and the, and the horsemanship and as well as the competition experience. You've also had the opportunity to work with David O'Connor quite a bit. How has he influenced your riding? David's really good at both sides of the job in terms of he's a very, very, very good coach. I learned a lot on Colombo with him on the flat. He's a, uh, incredibly ambidextrous. He's got these joints in his fingers. I don't know how he has the softest hands, but at the same time is a very, very strong rider and helped me to learn how to work Colombo in a more collected fashion and more pure dressage fashion. And I could bring out the best in him for dressage. And I think that really led to meddling at, at uh, the World Equestrian Games in 2010. 
but also he's really good at the sponsors and the owners and is happy to pass along knowledge and push you in the right direction and tell you how to go about the business side of it. And last but not least, he is very zen. He's a very calm, quiet, collected person all the time. And Lauren Kiefer, his student, is an exact replica in terms of her ability to be so professional and so calm and cool and zen and and yet super competitive. So I really appreciate that side of him. What other trainers or mentors have you worked with that have influenced you? Mark Todd. Um, I've been lucky enough to have clinics with as well um, years ago when he used to come to Canada. And again, because we became friends through Bruce and Mark Todd together. Um, luckily, I was able to ask him if it would be okay if I came and trained there last year to get ready for badminton. So I went a month ahead and had the opportunity to see how he runs his barn and also to watch him ride every day. And I even got to sit on some of his four-star horses. Stephen Bradley used to come and, and do clinics, uh, participate in the clinics and kind of help as a co-coach almost. Uh, ride some of the more difficult horses when he was there, and I'm still really good friends with him. Um, Ingrid Klimke I became closer friends with in the past. I had a working student who went over there and worked for her for the past year, so um, I've also had an opportunity to have some clinics with her, and I really follow her for her ability to do show jumping as well as dressage and eventing. Same with Mark Todd. He's been to the Olympics for both and sometimes at the same time, which I just find incredible. And there's so many, I, I can't think of them all. Um, Mary King, because she competed when my mom did. And I uh, like to, you know, cheer the women riders on as well as the men riders at the top of their game. But those are just a few to think off the top of my head. And do you have any equestrian heroes and who who are they and why? <laughs> Mark Todd would be there. And Bruce. Bruce is in the Guinness Book of World Records for winning the most consecutive world championships or most of, of, of all. Um, I can't remember exactly how it's worded. I don't even think he knew he was in the Guinness Book of World Records, which is crazy. Mark Todd, again, because he can do both disciplines at the same time and then went on to become a great race trainer. And uh, Pat Burgess, she taught me a lot and is someone who coaches but doesn't necessarily ride and wrote a great book, which I really appreciate. Ian Miller, just he's been a legend. He's Captain Canada. I also get the opportunity to meet, and he's very generous with his knowledge because I train with Jonathan. And it's really neat that it's kind of a family operation, which I can relate to because I have a family operation. Uh, Crystal Ott Boylan has worked miracles with not only Woody and I, but her own horse that she's moved up to a high level now of dressage. And I've witnessed it coming up through the levels and it wasn't the easiest and she had to be very patient and tactful and, and has gotten the best out of that horse. And then of course she coaches Megan and a few of the other uh, Canadian dressage riders. And I've known Megan, we were both in the checkmate horse trials area in the North of Ontario when she very first started riding. So I've gotten the chance to get to know her better and I really appreciate the way that she works with the horses and, and gets results. Do you have a favorite exercise or type of work you think is important? Can you describe it? 
That one's a little bit difficult. I would say as an exercise that's quite simple but addresses a lot of issues and that I use on a horse like Woody when he's tense or losing his rhythm at a horse show in the warm-up all the way down to um, working my own riders who they find it difficult because you have to count and they always miss a beat or they sit twice so it's changing your posting diagonal on every four and you only count each time your bum touches the saddle in your rising trot so each time your bum touches the saddle on the downside of your post in your posting trot you count one two three and on the fourth you do sit sit which is change your posting diagonal so if you have a horse that rushes when you sit sit you can use your core and your seat and make the horse wait a little bit with you and encourage them to keep the rhythm the same. If you have a horse that sucks back or is a little bit sluggish, when you sit, sit, you can push, push with your core and your leg and seat, and that helps keep three quarters of the horse in front of you and keeps them in front of your leg. Really, it's very good for rhythm. If you have a horse like Woody who's being tense at a horse show, you change your posting diagonal every four and you can go all over the arena, it doesn't matter what direction you're going. So you can do it on a circle or a figure of eight or anything like that. And it really establishes the rhythm without going to your hand or, but it really tests the riders. Counting and only remembering to count every time you sit, not when you post, is very difficult for them. Also, they sit, sit, and they end up sitting three times, kind of like when you're learning to change your posting diagonal and you accidentally bump the tag the third time. So it's a good, it gets their mind focused, it gets them counting, it gets them thinking about what's happening underneath them. And for the horses, it gets them settled, it gets them rhythmical, and gets them on your seat and leg. And then also, it gets you ready for sitting trot. You have to use sitting trot for your test, maybe you have to use sitting trot for your transitions. Obviously, we have to sit to do any of our transitions, so it starts to get you deeper in the tack and using your aids a little bit better and maybe stronger so that when you do have to go sitting for a sustained period of time, hopefully you're warmed up to it. You started your eventing career with a horse named Toby that your mom found, um, and, and you've said that you credit him with making you into the horsewoman you are today. What did he teach you and how did he teach you? Toby was my guardian angel. I bought him from Barb Bowen. He belonged to Jody Bowen's to Jody Bowen, which is Barb's daughter. He was top of his game at Western. Literally unbeatable. He wasn't allowed to go to any of the fairs or anything. The only thing he was allowed to go to was Corderama because he was unbeatable. We, I remember my mom had been looking for a, a horse for me or a pony for a long time. I had tried quite a few ponies. I had a funny little paint I think she was called Butterball or something. I only had her for a really short period of time. And when she would get hot and sweaty or tired, she would drop and roll in her tack while you were trotting, while you were walking, whatever. She didn't care. She would just stop and start rolling. So I got really good at leaping off. That didn't last probably more than a week. I had another lovely paint who I think was a small horse. She was a mare. Had her for a little bit longer. She was a great horse, but same thing. When she got hot and bothered or tired or fed up, she would stop and just plant. 
and you could walk up behind her, you could push, you could pull, you could get off, you could... Sometimes I would just untack her and leave her and go back to the barn. I mean, she just wouldn't move. So, gave up on that one. And my mom was sure I was going to give up on riding because I wasn't enjoying it. We went and tried Toby. I, I think I remember Jody on him in a halter and two lead shanks. She did one-time tempies with him. She jumped him. No, did she jump him? She galloped him around the arena. She did barrels. I think he jumped him over some stuff. He didn't really know how to jump when we bought him. And he certainly didn't frame up that well because he was pure Western trained. So I did do Western with him with Jody and Barb's help for the first two years. And that's when I did the trail and the pole bending and all that sort of thing. So you have to sidestep with the front legs on one side of the pole and the back legs on the other. And they make a pattern, almost like a puzzle or a maze. And you have to sidestep all the way around this pattern without touching the pole with the front legs and the back legs. That really helped me teach them how to maneuver for leg yield, basically. You also did rain back through a maze, literally made of poles. Same thing. You had to be able to back up and walk all the way through this maze, and you weren't allowed to touch the poles anywhere, and you weren't allowed to step forward. And I'm, I don't remember all the rules. I was very young. I probably did a little bit of fun barrel racing, but I don't think I ever did it competitively. The trail classes, open gates, walk over tarps, um walk over bridges. I can't remember all the things, but they were very useful. And then at home, when I had him at home, I think uh, we took him down. My poor mother later on in life found out some of the terrible things that we did with poor Toby. I used to ride him four at a time with two halters, two lead shanks and a halter and four kids, including me. We used to tie my GT snow racer behind him. My mom bought me a vaulting roller when I was a young girl. I put a breastplate on the vaulting roller. I put a bridle on if I felt like it, sometimes just halter and lead shanks. I used two lunge lines and I clipped them to the vaulting roller and then I used the handles of the lunge lines and tied them to a GT snow racer. And a GT snow racer, for anybody who doesn't know, is a toboggan with steering and brakes. And I would ride Toby just behind the vaulting roller and my friends would sit one at a time on the GT Snow Racer, and I would trot and gander him and walk him through the fields, and they would get pulled along behind me on the GT Snow Racer. Then in the summertime, we did summer sports. We had an incredible property that had two rivers. One was very wide, and the other one was narrow, and they were joined together by a lagoon. The lagoon was about chest height on Toby. These are the parts that my mom didn't know. We would park Toby in the middle of the lagoon and he would just stand there and we would have races swimming underneath him and between his back legs and see who could go into the fastest and do terrible, terrible things. We would jump off his bum, use it like a, a little diving board and jump off his bum into the lagoon. When I wasn't doing that and I just wanted to play in the water, I would tie him to a tree and he would just eat grass and hang out and wait for me when I wanted him and I'd bring him back into the water. On the big side of the river, you could go up and down the middle of it quite a long ways. Again, halter, two lead shanks, me on him bareback, and my friends would wrap his tail around their hand, lie on their stomach, and body surf up and down the river. So he taught me incredible trust. He was my babysitter. Luckily for me, he was who he was because my mom was running a huge operation with, you know, as I said, multiple discipline barns, racehorses, jumpers, and hunters, and eventers and a breeding program with two stallions and broodmares in the field and competing at a high level, you know, three-star herself. She couldn't be there all the time. 
and she did not find about these out about these things until later in life so please nobody blame her but he taught me trust and then on top of that he I taught my first student on him my secretary's grandson uh, was my first student when I was quite young and I had moved on from Toby to a homebred that we had called the main man and that's who I did my first young riders on so I did Toby had a bone chip that was inoperable, so we didn't want to push him further than training level. So once I was ready to move on to prelim, I started teaching my first student on Toby. I remember not being able to put Toby in a frame when I began eventing, and I would come home crying to my mom that all the other people can put their horse in a frame and I can't. And my mom would come down late at night, and she would get on Toby with some draw reins, and she would help teach him how to go in a frame, and then she would plonk me on top of Toby. And away he would go in a frame, and a big smile would come across my face. And we also taught him how to jump properly, although he was game and would jump anything. He kind of had that quarter horse launch, um, which would probably have ejected me as a small child. So my mom taught him how to jump. Working students um, who had had, you know, bad falls or got nervous or anything all had the opportunity to ride Toby. I'm sure there's a few people who owe their riding skills and love of horses and, and even eventing to Toby. Who were some of the most important or influential horses in your life what were they like and how were they influential Toby was number one and then Cameron was my homebred that's the main man my mom bred him he was by our thoroughbred stallion mainstay and so I do remember him growing up he was cheeky he had a field mate I can't think of his name off the top of my head Carol Angus who's ridden for Canada started Cameron's prelim career as I said, my mom wanted me to always be brave and made sure I didn't ride difficult horses and until and I was old enough to understand and not, not let it affect my bravery and, and my competitive spirit. So Carol Angus took Cameron around his first season of prelim and I went and groomed for her. So that was great. I got to meet Carol Angus through that. Then I would have to say Chansey was an Anglo-Arab I don't think he was quite a pony, but he was a very small horse. I got to show him to clients. So when, we ha when we're selling a horse, we have to show them to the client. And because Chansey was my ride, and because he was a little bit smaller, my mom thought I was ready to show Chansey to his first set of clients. It was time for Chansey to move on. And I trotted up to the first X, and he stopped, and I fell off. <laughs> and he'd probably never stopped in his life. He was also a survivor we had a bad trailering accident once, the only time my mom and I have ever driven a two-horse. Can't stand them. Um, something happened, the, the, back, the tailgate was faulty, and when we went over the train track, we weren't five minutes from home. I was going to my first hunter show. That never happened. Um, again, I was probably too young to event, and the tailgate dropped, and the pony tried to jump the chest bar. He jumped the chest bar, but then... We knew something had happened, obviously, and pulled over immediately on Trafalgar Road, such a busy road, 7 in the morning. My mom ran around to the trailer to see what had happened, and when she opened the man door, his front feet slid out the man door, so now he hadn't got his hindquarters over the chest bar. Long story short, the poor guy was stuck on the chest bar with his hind end while I ran out into traffic on the Trafalgar Road to try and get help. Nobody would help. Luckily, incredible vets in the fire department came, cut down the inside of the trailer, rescued the pony, took him home. It took a lot of rehab. He had to stay in the stall for a very long time. He had to have stitches and medicine, and 
and it did make him um, more sensitive in the stall. So he had to learn, you know, um, that he wasn't just Toby and I, I had to be careful brushing him and, and be good to him. He came, bounced right back after his rehab. He got sold. I think he went to Nova Scotia. I get Nova Scotia and New Brunswick mixed up all the time. He went there and did pony club jumpers and was jumping four feet. And the only sign that you would know that he had ever had trauma was when the jumps got four feet, he would have a little twist in the air behind, probably because he had scar tissue in his stifle area in his flank. But other than that, he didn't. So he taught me a lot. Be Bold Juliet, that's my email address. Um, that is a horse that was deemed unsafe. Um, the client, when we were at Checkmate Farms, the client brought her to my mom and said, do you think you could sell her for me? She was a little off the track thoroughbred. She actually has good bloodlines. I think Tom Thumb is her sire and he raced and did really well. She was tiny, tiny little horse, maybe 15-2, 15-3 if you were lucky with studs. Built with a straight neck, a little bit downhill, a club foot. She was a nightmare in the dressage, absolute nightmare. Anyway, she got brought to be sold I tried her a couple of times. She could jump like a deer. I mean, just incredible. But she was difficult and she was small. And in the end, I said to mom, I don't think she's the project we want. So we sent her back. Well, my mom secretly bought her for my birthday. And she, the lovely lady, Bobby, that owned her, she paid off in lessons, basically. I think we bought her for $2,500 or something like that. She took me to my first advanced my first advance was the advanced championships at Checkmate. I still have the picture of me jumping the moat, which is a massive ditch with water running through it and a big hedge on the backside. And when I landed, I almost, it was the first time I'd ever teared up on a horse out of joy, <laughs> not fear, um, because I just believed, I, I thought she was going to take me to my first Olympics. I thought this little horse could do anything. I probably had one rail in competition in seven years. I took her to hits here and did a huge four foot three class and on the other horse I was on I'm pretty sure I placed like first and second out of 87 horses there was you know the Millers were in it and this was back when I didn't know anything and then I bred her to Jeanette Leask Stallion rather well and now Anne-Marie rides rather boldly which is Riley in the barn and that's Juliet's son I did have a previous uh, small mare out of Juliet called Mistress Quigley and I sold her on to clients in Quebec. And I ended up keeping Riley because Juliet died of old age about two, maybe three years ago. And I decided not to sell Riley. I thought I was, I had to sell one of them, but Q sold before Riley. So I decided to keep Riley. I took him up to the prelim level and then I gave him to Anne-Marie for experience. And so basically Riley is Anne-Marie's horse and thanks for everything she does for me. And then the obvious, Colombo and, and Woody, have both been incredible for all the reasons we know them. <laughs> and Woody is currently your most seasoned horse. What's he like? Woody is all heart. He is very sweet and gentle and quiet on the ground. He hates cows. He's deathly afraid. He used to be fine with cows. He lived right next door to them the first year I had him in Florida. And then I don't know if one of them said something mean to him, but since then he turns inside out. It's the only thing that sends Woody into sheer panic. He 
And unfortunately, there are so many cows down here in Ocala that I almost have gotten to the stage where I can't hack him because he's a danger to himself and me. When he sees the cows, he just runs blind or, or rears or whatever. So we try to keep the cows away from Woody. I don't go to Pine Top or places like that where there's cows anywhere near because I know I'm not going to have a good ride. I talked to Lainey Ashker and her previous mount was the exact same way. She says she can't even go into a field where cows have been because he can smell them. And I think Woody's getting that way. Woody's favorite treat are mints. He will do absolutely anything for mints. He's a gentle giant. Everybody loves working with him. The people that fly him, Anne-Marie, of course, he's her heart. The vets, anybody who has anything to do with him at the horse shows, they all love him. His favorite phase, I think, is definitely the cross country. He finds it so easy. I love him because he's so tall. The jumps look smaller from where I am. Once I'm on his back, I feel much better. He is very narrow. We didn't think when we first started with him necessarily that he would go as far as he has gone, but he has gone that far purely on, on heart. He is all in. He tries very, very hard, and really it's just taken time for his body to muscle up. He's such a big horse. Um, he's very, very, very well bred by Canadian Hugh Graham. And other than that, I, I think he's just a gentle giant is probably the easiest way to describe him and a, a great event horse. I think this is his niche. Woody's story is also a bit unique because his owner, John Rumble, is a two-time Olympian who won a bronze medal in eventing at the 1956 Stockholm Olympics. What's it like working with John? Does he have any special goals for Woody? When I met John, Jimmy Alder, his dear friend and, and teammate, was the one who showed Woody to me. So I was lucky that at Red Hills one year, Elaine and Michael were there, who were dear friends of the Rumbles, and John was looking for a rider for his horse. And Elaine said, watch Selena go cross country. I guarantee you you'll want her to ride your horse. So he did watch me go on, on Climbo, and then he approached me and said, would I be interested in coming to see Woody? So I came to see Woody, and Jimmy Elder showed him to me at um, John Rumble's farm in the indoor. And he rode him around on the flat first, and then he jumped a course of fences, and then we raised them, and he jumped another course of fences, and then he handed me the reins. And I was so impressed at Jimmy's fitness. It was incredible. He wasn't breathing heavy or anything. He just told me what to do and sat me on top of Woody. And I rode Woody around, nothing like as well as Jimmy had. Um, I believe Chad Elder had been competing Woody a little bit to start out and was learning to event, but Chad had to go to school. So I was only supposed to have Woody for the winter, and then he was going to go back to Chad, and things turned out differently, and I ended up maintaining the ride on him. John is a wonderful owner, and he understands both sides of the sport, which is unique. He understands the ups and the downs and, and how it works, and and even coaches me. I was lucky enough to go and have lessons on uh, Spencer, his other advanced horse, which is by our Stallion Ramiro, <laughs> believe it or not. And my funniest saying from John is, don't worry, we'll either drink to celebrate or we'll drink to commiserate. Either way, we'll have a drink. And I thought to myself, John, we're going to get along great. And then I think it was the Pan Ams in 2011, maybe before that, it was Judy's birthday. And John gave Judy the other half of Woody for her birthday 
so that she would be in the passport because for accreditation, foreigners need to be named in the passport. And Judy became really involved and she is an incredible numbers person. She, she could work for Equa ratings. She knows the score. She writes down every single horse's score and she keeps me abreast and even at horse shows that we're not at, she follows them online. She writes down all their scores and then she tells me and then she knows what Woody's best scores are and, and so keeps us on our toes. And John and Judy come to every single horse show, every single horse show, they, and they drive. They hate flying. They drive to every single horse show and they're always there no matter what and they take us out to dinner and we have a lovely time and they understand when it goes well and they understand when it goes badly and they push me to do my best and they've connected me with Crystal Ott because John did a lot for Crystal Ott's Pony Club and I've connected John with my Pony Club and he's come and done talks and stuff which all the Pony Clubbers enjoy and even just hearing his experiences and actually always he told me right from the beginning badminton was his dream because that's where he trained for the Olympics and he had dinner with the Duke of Beaufort and the Duke of Beaufort said I hope to see you back here one day so going to badminton last year was just epic it was huge for all of us and his son came Michael Rumble and now Michael Rumble is really involved in horses all of a sudden and has taken a huge interest and that of course um, really makes John super happy so I'm hoping that Michael will be coming to badminton and Jimmy came to badminton and we all had dinner in the same pub that Jimmy and John had had dinner with the team in each night and they'd stayed there and they told us all about their stories of, of training and funny stories about getting locked out of their car and all sorts of things. So they're top, 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 top owners in absolutely every single way and they want nothing but the best for um, Foxwood High and, and nothing is spared when it comes to his happiness and his health and they make all the right decisions and we make them as a team and we enjoy the process because you have to in the sport. You've had a lot of competitive success. Two team silver medals, three consecutive WEGs. You were the first Canadian to win Fairhill. What has meant the most to you? The medal at WEG with my team was incredible. An achievement that I will never forget, but also an experience that I'll never forget. When I was a young person, I did some uh, team sports. I did a little bit of volleyball. I have no hand-eye coordination other than that. Once volleyball was an after-school thing, I couldn't do it because, as I say, my mom was very busy and we lived in the country, so I had to take the bus home. I did track and field, which was more individual for me. I didn't like soccer, I didn't like any team sports because I only wanted to have myself to blame when it went right or when it went wrong. And I learned that was another thing David taught us when I very first started with the team. He's like, these people you will never forget and, and you will make create a bond and that sort of thing. And, and Jess is like a sister to me. I'm an only child. Holly Bennett's like a sister. She just lives really far away. Um, Kyle Carter was... I mean, I don't know if you guys read the article that was written by all of us. Um, every one of us was interviewed individually, and every single one of us had a story about Kyle, about how he just was the backbone of the team and kept us together, and, and he's, he knows how to, when to time, you know, a sarcastic comment. He knows when to be positive and really help you and push you through. He 
made a big difference, and I'm so glad to still have him as a friend. He's very entertaining. When him and Mike Winter were on the team together, it was hilarious. I think they could have had their own TV show, and that could have been a fundraiser for us. But um, those ladies were all a part of the team. In Sometimes they were actually on the team, or sometimes they're just listed riders, so you get to do training camps with them. Um, they taught me to not take myself so seriously and for us to win a medal together and inspire our country and hopefully owners and that sort of thing made a huge impact on me. I will cherish that medal forever. And then winning Fair Hill was more for myself, Woody, and the owners and, and Team Woody, which obviously Anne-Marie is at the head at. Um, that was kind of felt like making a little bit of history all by myself with uh, a, a more individualized team. Uh, the Rumbles, I really wanted it for John because, as I say, he never holds back and he believes 100% in Woody and I, and it was great for him to be in the limelight a little bit. It was great for the horse because the horse had worked so hard at his dressage and his show jumping, and to pull it off and, and be able to have that accomplishment on his record, I think he deserves it more than anybody. And then to perform and, and, and provide, you know, some sort of record for Anne-Marie, who is, works grueling hours and Woody has her heart. She, uh, she will definitely get a chance to ride Woody one day when he retires, just like um, Kathleen got to ride Ballynoe Castle. I thought that was just awesome. I hope that one day when um, Woody is no longer doing this level that Anne-Marie gets to take him around because they have a bond that's almost closer than Woody and I's. So to put that out there and, and prove that, you know, we're a force to be reckoned with as a country, but also that our hard work uh, pays off in results that people can see, um, I think that, that was my second favorite. Do you have a routine before a competition? I listen to books on my iPod for the drive, and then sometimes I listen to them just while I'm going around. I like to listen to music as well, so if I need to take my mind off of what I'm doing, I'll listen to my book, and that way I won't get as nervous. I have lucky socks. My sponsor, JoJo Socks, I've always had lucky socks because Bruce is very superstitious and he has lucky socks, so I had to have lucky socks. So I've had lucky socks from a very young age, and they used to be socks that people gave me, like once I had Bruce's socks, <laughs> and now they are socks that JoJo makes me. And the ones that I kept, they have a hole in the heel, they say, I love my horse, and it's the word I, the letter I above, and then a heart, and then the picture of a horse at the bottom. They no longer make those, and now they make woody socks. So now I have woody socks that are my lucky socks. Also things that people make me. When I went to badminton last year, my mom's best friend in Scotland, Marie, made me a, a handmade woolen hat and they felt the front and it's a, a felting of woody on the front. And then she gave me a really nice stock pin, which I couldn't wear on my stock, so I pinned it to the hat. I really think that people like that really want it for you, and so things that they give you or, or make you or contribute 
um, are nothing but good luck. So why not? We need all the good luck we can get because sometimes it's just a little bit of bad luck, not anything else that doesn't get you through. I sleep if I'm super nervous, so I hate when I have to wait a long, long, long time to go. I don't necessarily want to go first because I always forget the course or I forget the test or whatever. Um, but I, and it's usually colder, <laughs> but I do um, sleep if I have to wait a long time. But then of course I wake up and I'm like, oh, and you get butterflies in your stomach. And um, I use Rescue Remedy. Uh, it's made, it's a homeopathic thing made by a company called Bach, and they used to have these droppers that taste like dandelions, they're quite bitter, and you put it under your tongue or in your water or whatever, but now they make these yummy little gummies that are black currant. And so when I get nervous, I don't know if they actually help or if it's just going through the motions and your routine, but in some way it does help because I feel more settled. So if I start to get nervous for usually dressage and, and cross country, I take one of those and and uh, it just going through the motions makes me feel better. How do you handle it if things don't go the way you expect or the way that you want them to? Well, luckily I get to practice that a lot <laughs> because very rarely do things go the way you want. And I learned that also a little bit from David in terms of, you know, unless the stars align, you're not, not always going to go to a big event and give out personal bests in every phase. I've been lucky enough that I've given out personal best. I gave out a personal best on Colombo at the Olympics in the dressage. I gave out a personal best with Woody at Fair Hill in the dressage. Um, this year at WAG, I gave out a personal best for Woody in the show jumping. So you got to hang on to those personal bests. You can. You're only. Out, I'm only out there to beat myself, um, because the dressage is quite subjective and. And if it's not their type of horse or it's not the horse's day, you know, they, they change when we went to WAG. They cheer and, and wave flags and they're really close. Same with WAG in France, really close to the arena. When you go to badminton or other events where it's just an event in terms of they know it's all, all the people there are probably horsey, they're not going to cheer loudly. They, they go so quiet, a pin would drop. So... Woody got really tense at Wagon in the dress right before I went in the ring because as I entered the arena, the crowds erupted and the flags were rat, rat waving and people were screaming Woody and Selena and the horse is so fit. So you can't control those things. So, you know, deal with the things you can control. Um, try to read books in pursuit of excellence, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I have people I aspire to be like, like Lauren Kiefer is inspirational to me because she really is incredibly professional. And Rebecca Howard, same thing when she was on our team and I got to be around her a lot more often. Her day to day, how she runs her show and how she trains and all that sort of thing. She's just whatever's going on in the inside. You can't tell because she's just incredibly zen and professional and quiet on the outside. And I think dealing with um, the highs and lows, you have to make sure you celebrate when even just the little things along the way go right. And when they don't go as planned, I mean, as I say, you get to practice that pretty often. So suck it up. It's part of the sport. They're a living, breathing animal. What they do for us is incredible. So if they have a bad day and they, they uh, are tense or they knock down a jump or 
they're slow or they're too fast, you just have to understand that they're loving creatures and they're trying their best for you and there's always another day. So we make a joke and just say good day at the office or bad day at the office and I try not to amp it up and overanalyze it. I just look at the test, try to improve the marks each time, improve what the horse is not good at. You know the horse better than anybody, so even if you didn't get the scores on certain movements that you, that you thought you would. Also, sometimes just looking at what the winning score was, you know, if you weren't that far away from it, then, you know, that's, that's fine. It just means next time maybe you're, maybe your chance. Do you have any hobbies out of the saddle? I don't really have time for them. I love swimming in the summer. I don't get to do a lot of it in the winter. I love the sea. I Up until the last couple of years, I hadn't actually been to the sea very often and certainly not where it was warm. I'd only been to the Scottish Sea where it was very, very cold. Um, and just nature, I think, animals. I love seeing different animals and, and travel. Luckily, that's a big part of my sport. I think it's a huge benefit to be able to see all these different places. But other than that, I'm a little bit of a lazy bones. If Luckily, my job requires me for like 12 hours of the day. So I, uh, I don't get a chance to sit and watch a movie, which is kind of my idea of a good day off. Just watching a movie and not thinking and not moving. <laughs> if you weren't a professional rider, what would you do instead? <clears throat> well, hopefully I would still be able to teach. I always said that... Um, if I ever had an injury or, or was unable to ride for any reason that I would love to teach. I started teaching, I think I did my first clinic when I was about 15 or 16. As I say, I had my first student probably when I was about 13 on Toby. My love of teaching, I will teach any level, anybody. People always say, oh, when they're booking clinics and that sort of thing, is there a level you won't teach or whatever sort of, or I'm not good enough to have lessons with Selena. Absolutely not. If you show up and you're keen and you're willing and, and able and the horse is happy and healthy and enjoying the what we're doing, I'll teach anybody. I've, I've got time for everybody. I, I really enjoy the teaching side of it. So I would love to one day um, coach a team. I don't think I have the knowledge yet, um, not only in the horse exercises and that sort of thing, but you have to have a pretty big compass. You have to know a little bit about course building and course design and 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 all sorts of different aspects of the sport to really be beneficial to a team but I would hope to one day be able to do that. How do you stay motivated? Uh, the people around me. I have a lot of great um, staff. Anne-Marie, Veronica at home, my mom who's, as I say, I can't even take the pitchfork out of her hand. And then my, my fellow riders, you know, um, I've already mentioned Lauren Kiefer, but I love going to work with those guys every day, and, and I don't get to see them as often as I do when I'm down in Florida. But they, their love of the sport shines through them as well, and, and their you know, willingness to be there and help you if you're in a jam, you know, you forgot something or whatever, and then watching the camaraderie even between the grooms and then the grooms and their horses. Yeah, really, eventers rule. The camaraderie between eventers is like no other discipline. What advice would you give to your younger self? Do a better job <laughs> of your social media and 
getting owners and, and horses under you in the beginning. I think that part of it I came to too late and I think I'm also, I'm not on it enough as it were. Um, you have to dedicate almost as much time to promoting yourself and your sport and trying to get horses and owners um, together as you do in the barn and and I'm bad I like riding and everything and then I'll do chores and I like working stalls and I like working with Anne Marie and I like teaching but I don't like sitting behind the computer and even worse I hate calling people and I'm just not very good at that side of it I think I should have maybe even done a, a course in in school that would help me I did do business and that sort of thing but that's just you know operating my accounting and that sort of thing which luckily my mom does for me still and I think that I maybe should have gone and, and had a course in, you know, how to approach people and how to put syndicates together and that sort of thing because later on it comes back to bite you in the bum. Do you have any regrets? No, no, I don't think so. Not at all. I, uh, I have tried to grasp every opportunity I have. I've met the most incredible people along the way and... You know, we might not have a lot of money in the family or anything like that, but we live life happily and we get to do what we want and we get to travel. And, you know, the only thing I wish, as I said before, that could happen and hopefully will happen one day is I would love my mom to be able to come to Florida and, and do the winter season down here. What's the hardest part of this sport for you? Oh, gosh. Time management, I suppose. Um, yeah. The hardest part of the sport, um, a little bit is getting enough um, experience and enough horses underneath you. I don't think I lack in ability. I think I've proven myself over the years on many different horses. And usually I get horses when they're older in life. And I, I still manage to take them to the four-star level and maintain them at that level to a ripe old age. And I don't think I'm lacking in results, and I'm certainly not lacking in drive or diligence or any things uh, that you need to make the whole package. <clears throat> I think a little bit living out where I do in Kingston, maybe. Um, I do know that it was recommended that we go to England or we go to America because it has a much larger pool of owners and horses and and you can get sponsorship a little bit better and, and have multiple mounts and rides because you need that experience and you need that mileage to be able to perform on horses like Woody. I need horses to go around and practice galloping at speed. You know, Woody is an older horse. I don't need to run him all the time. I got to save him for the best shows. But if I'm riding, you know, novice and training and stuff in between, you're not practicing going at that speed and jumping at that speed and, and um, doing some of those more collected movements and that sort of thing. So uh, maybe it would be better if I did end up, you know, moving to those places, but that's not really an option for me. I, I'm the same as Jess. I run a family business and I, I would trade it up for the world, but maybe it would have made more business sense in terms of getting more owners and horses and that sort of thing if I did move out of where I live. But I love Canada, and there's a lot of benefits to living there, and, and I get a lot of 
you get a lot of support from your government and your country and your federation if you're in your own country. So, you know, there's pros and cons to both. And as you kind of said, you've definitely proven yourself in this sport. What do you think has made you so successful? Uh, the people who support me. <laughs> Absolutely. My mom is uh, the head of the ship. If it wasn't for her, I, I couldn't be in Florida. As I say, she does all the accounting. She, in the beginning, was my PR person. Absolutely. She got me most of my sponsors, who I still have to this day. And that was way back in 2007, probably at Rolex. Um, also, her she's a, a computer guru. She really helps me. She invented the first uh, equestrian website. Um, and I think won a little award for it and stuff like that. So she was on to the internet long before anybody else. So she really helped me with that side of it and then maintaining the business while in Canada and then I'm down here. We have to lease two properties. She was my driving partner, you know, to get to and fro. It's like a 26 hour drive. Um, and then Anne Marie now is my right hand. It's funny how when you have somebody like that who helps you so much, you all of a sudden realize you just can't do anything for yourself. I'm like, wait a minute, I knew how to do all of this. It's not, and it's not like I still braid, I still muck, I still do it all. But things like remembering, she knows everything about Woody, remembering when he needs a supplements or if, you know, I have a lesson or what, what, what my personal best was last year, because I don't remember those sorts of things. And then she enjoys the process. She's there to listen. And when I complain about how I'm getting it all wrong and she listens and, par and you know, jumps up for joy and has tears of joy in her eye at Fair Hill when we did, you know, what we set out to do sort of thing. And then my lovely owners, the Rumbles, the Davies, my mom owns the other horses, and my sponsors who believe in me and have me out to do, you know, conferences and support me and post pictures of me. And, and then the fans, I'm pretty sure Woody and my dog Busy have more fans than I do, but uh, there, you know, now that we have social media, they can really reach out to you and they send you emails and they send you support and they tell you how great you're doing and they share your pictures and they share your posts and, you know, it all drives you and, and, and makes you successful. And, and also the, the kind of more relevant side, they post pictures and video of you all the time. So your writing gets better really quickly because all of a sudden you're all over Facebook and you've got, oh my God, I'm so far ahead of the motion or why am I grimacing while I'm doing dressage? I'm supposed to be smiling. And, and it really, really, I mean, we already video everything, our lessons. I video Anne Marie's lessons. She videos my lessons. And we go back and we slow it down and we, you know, investigate what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right. But having people posted all over in the public eye, you, uh, yeah, you sharpen up pretty quick. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Selena. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with eventing legend Jimmy Lawford, Irish show jumper Kevin Babington, and hunter rider and trainer Tom Brennan. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.